0: Mackling and McGarry on six eighty CJOB. Good day. I'm Brett McGarry. Good day. He's Greg Mackling. Good day. Good day. Good day. And what was? What did Bob and Doug used to say? (laughs) Good day, eh? Good day. How's it going, eh? Good day. (laughs) How's it going, eh? Thank you, and good day. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Not a good day yesterday for one United Airlines passenger. We'll get to that in just a moment. You've got some disturbing audio and the story. We are going to move pretty quick through stories today as uh, we approach budget day tomorrow in the province of Manitoba. Uh, Tomorrow's show will be focused on that to a great extent. In fact, I think we're losing an hour of our show tomorrow. So we had a few things that we wanted to talk about, including at 1.30, what's the appropriate age for seniors discounts when
0: you... When should people be expecting those, and when? what age is it good business? One politician in Newfoundland thinks it's 55 instead of 65. Oh, my. So that's an interesting thought. It was quickly shot down, but we're going to have a discussion with CARP, an organization that was formerly known as the Canadian Association of Retired Persons, but they are not called that anymore because a lot of their members can't retire.
1: Fair enough. And Joelle Foster will join us, futurepreneur. She's the director for Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and the North. Why access to venture capital in Manitoba is critical and becoming more so as we make our way through uh, these months and years where... Entrepreneurship is ramping up big time in Manitoba, and how are we going to allow those businesses to not only stay here, but to flourish here? We'll talk about the challenges ahead for entrepreneurs that are on the verge of making it
0: big, Brett. And all of that and more, but first we want to talk about this.
2: The screams of a passenger (coughs) being forcibly removed from his seat by police. After he refused
3: to voluntarily leave because United Airlines overbooked the flight, passengers can be heard protesting oh and reacting. God, what are you doing? With his face bloodied, his body limp, he's dragged it down the aisle by his arms.
2: Oh my God, look at what you did. In a
3: statement, United Airlines said, "We apologize for the overbooked situation and directed further questions to authorities." Serena Marshall, ABC News, Washington.
0: This is a flight from Chicago to Louisville yesterday, and. I don't know if you've ever been bumped from from a flight, but airlines overbook flights all the time. There are a surprising amount of no-shows that happen on flights, and airlines have a formula to try to predict, to try to figure out what the no-show factor is going to be. You might be thinking, well, why do people not show up? The most common occurrence is people are, were late, you know, tra- oh, stuck in traffic or whatever. They just didn't show up in time, so the their seat ends up empty, so they overbook the flight. It's like doctor's appointments. You ever been to a doctor's office had to sit there for two and a half hours? It's because sure. they overbook it. Sure. So that's what they do on these planes, and typically what will happen is they will offer compensation. If you will... Get off of this flight, then we will give you a voucher, we'll give you a hotel stay, we'll give you something. Typically, it's a a voucher. And in this case, no one would get off of the plane, so they randomly selected people, and they chose this man. You heard him screaming, apparently as the authorities, and it was police who were called onto the plane to get this man off of the plane because he wouldn't go willingly. They dragged him off of the plane, bash his face on the armrest. And if you see the video or pictures, you'll see this man being dragged up the aisle, completely limp. His sweater is, he's rather undignified position for him, unfortunately, because his sweater is being dragged. It's been hiked up as it's being dragged along the carpet. And it's, it's quite disturbing to see it. You could hear that woman screaming. It's, it was a shocking scene.
1: According to the statistics I have right here, Brett, United Airlines denies over 19,000 people a year from boarding their planes in spite of the fact they have reservations and have paid for tickets for flights. And you may have been in a situation yourself where they'll start offering you 250 400 Well, they were up to $800. And I'm looking at a an article here that you found, Brett, and they say do not, do not accept their first or their second offer because if they bump you and may say that you are the individual that's going to be missing this flight, you get double what you paid and your refund, and, and, and. It adds up to typically around $1,300. So uh, following this advice was what this gentleman was doing. He said he was a doctor and that there was no way he was getting off the flight. He had patients to see on Monday. This is turning into a PR disaster for United Airlines, and uh, you know that it's going to be... a. Uh, an absolute huge settlement, if nothing else, uh, once uh, lawyers get involved.
0: And the the question that some may be asking is, well, hang on a second. So they needed four people to get off of the plane so that they could make room for four staff because the United Airlines staff needed to get to Louisville so they could then work a flight. Right. So if they don't get on the flight, then the dominoes start to fall. And some might say, well, that's United's problem. Why should it be the the problem of the passengers? But we have reached out to somebody who is an expert on this sort of thing. He is a passenger's advocate. He joins us on the phone now, I believe, from the Maritimes, Gabor Lukacs. Gabor, are you there? Hi, Greg. How are you? Good. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Where, Where have we reached you, by the way, Gabor? I'm right now in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Okay, so you are, uh, you've are you become known for uh, being a passenger's advocate for airline situations. What is your immediate reaction to this particular story? I'm profoundly troubled by the images I've seen. The
4: passenger was treated like a criminal, uh, which was grossly inappropriate. Uh, the passenger uh, should have left the flight, because if the airline tells you to leave an aircraft, you should be leaving. But the passenger should have been given something in writing confirming why he's told to leave and by whom. And uh, one of the images I've seen are extremely troubling, are profoundly troubling in terms of this can
1: happen apparently to any peaceful citizen. Where is this going to stop? So, Gabor, what are your rights and what are the airline's rights in terms of demanding you off a plane? You said right there, if an airline says for you to leave an airplane, you should absolutely do that. What right do they have to do that? Under what circumstances can they ask you to leave? Any at all? So, from a legal point of view, they it is their aircraft they can ask you to leave
4: for whatever reason, whether those reasons are valid reasons from a legal point of view, and justify uh, them removing you from the flight is something for a judge to sort out after the fact. So uh, my advice to all passengers who are calling in such a situation is take out your cell phone and document the airline and crew telling you to leave the flight. Ask them for their name, ask them to state the reason for which they're asking you to leave, um, and if they refuse, perhaps call the police on your own, but always maintain the status, the position of a law-abiding citizen. If they tell you to leave after you have documented that you're not leaving voluntarily and that you documented what the claim, the reason is, I would suggest that you leave and deal with the situation afterwards.
0: Yeah, we just need to mention, put you on hold for a moment while we mention some breaking news. There is a situation in California. Uh fire official says multiple people have been shot at an elementary school in San Bernardino. San Bernardino County Fire Spokesman Eric Sherwin says the shooting happened this morning at the North Park School in San Bernardino. Sherwin says numerous firefighters and police officers are headed to the scene and no further information is available at this time so we will keep an eye on that story. Now, Gabor, the the fact that this man was escorted, I will use air quotes by around that, dragged off of a plane by law enforcement, by police, um does that change the The outcome of this at all, because if an if an airline employee had dragged him off the the plane, then obviously there'd be trouble. But this was a these were police officers. Um, the fact that it, that it's for police
4: officers uh, does not in any way excuse the excessive force that has been used. Um, certainly, um, the passenger should have left. Certainly, when you have someone who refuses to leave, the airline can call in the police, but. Whether it is advisable to do so and appropriate to do so, that's another question. In Canada, one of the most outrageous cases of calling in police completely unnecessarily happened a few years ago in Toronto when a passenger got detained at the airline's request because he insisted that he needs a blanket
1: on his flight. Oh, boy. but. uh... Uh, has that, it that come to this, combat, Gabber, right? uh, have, has the relationship between passengers and airlines ever been more uh, precarious? Has it ever been more volatile than it is right now? No, things are things are going
4: downhill here. The problem is that airlines are given way too much leeway in mistreating passengers because of the terror threat. The idea is, oh, if there's a terrorist on on board, we need to be dealing with them, and there's and there's all this care about it's safety, it's, we can do everything to keep the aircraft safe. But as you could see on those images, that passenger, although he was not right in refusing to leave the aircraft, he was not posing a threat to the crew or other passengers. And that is an issue that has not been dealt properly. What happens when airlines use their powers necessary for their, to keeping an airline safe for other ulterior purposes, like dealing with their own problem of overbooking a
5: flight.
0: Gabor, are you better off to take the voucher? Let's say you are in a situation where the flight is overbooked and they're calling for volunteers. Are you better off to take the voucher or are you better off to wait until they they say, okay, we need to, you're, you can't get on this plane?
4: I advise passengers to not take vouchers for a simple reason that, if you are involuntarily denied boarding, they have to give you cash. So um, when you volunteer, it's very much like a negotiation between you and the airline, what they give you. If you are involuntarily bumped, then or involuntarily denied boarding, then there are some rules in place, especially in the U.S., which requires the airlines to pay a fixed amount in cash, and you can insist on that.
1: Gabor, uh, this situation, I think we're just scratching the surface on this. The CEO of United Airlines, Oscar Munoz, uh, released this statement. This is an upsetting event to all of us here at United. I apologize for having to reaccommodate these customers. Our team is moving with a sense of urgency to work with the authorities and conduct of our own details uh, reviewed of what happened, will be reviewed of what happened. We are also reaching out to this passenger to talk directly to him and further address and resolve the situation. In the end, this passenger was allowed back on the plane and ultimately uh, flew on the plane to Louisville after a two-hour delay.
4: Well, he was not allowed to the same plane, as I understand. I mean, if you said it was a two-hour delay...
1: Probably a different plane. Mm, okay. Um, well. Okay. I, I'm going to dig into it, that, but because the, the, they give, were given the, <laughs> given us the uh, the uh, impression that he might have been on that same plane, we'll take a dig down a little bit deeper into that. Gabra, you probably know better than we do.
4: I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm just we're just you know being precise based on what i've heard. Well, okay. and we're on
0: Gabor. Let me just play I'm going to play a clip for you here, Gabor, because we're, you know, this story is developing, so it's not entirely certain, but this uh there one one person on the plane, a passenger took video of him being dragged off and then he posted a second video. It's just a short clip of the same man back on the flight doing this. I have to go home.
6: I have to go home. I have to go home. I have to go home.
0: So I think he, I think he had been let back on the plane after some sort of a mix-up, but we're still getting more details on this story. Uh, but listen,
4: we—it's
0: really hear his voice, how
4: much he's shaken, and he's really beyond himself. Uh, it's, you know, regardless of the legalities and technicalities, this situation was botched. This, the, the, what service so badly when you see excessive force being used in airplanes is not. Simply the passenger who is being clearly abused, but also that this discredits airport security. Airport security has a very important function. When you have a terror threat, you want people to actually respect and listen to the to the police officers and the security um, personnel present. This degrades those uh, forces to to essentially uh, thugs working for the airlines, and people will not feel safe to trust what they are saying. So there, there's a very significant public interest here to curb the misuse of force to peaceful passengers and private civil disputes between passengers and airlines uh, because it can create much bigger danger for everybody who's flying.
1: Gabor Lukas joining us from Halifax. He's formerly from Winnipeg. He is a Canadian air passenger advocate, one of the top on the planet. Gabor, thank you always for taking some time with us. Vince, I know you're hanging around to give us your comment on this. We're getting text messages as well. We'll take a break, come back, update your weather and more conversation this afternoon on Mackling and McGarry.
0: Just want to quickly update you on the situation in San Bernardino where there has been a shooting at an elementary school. The police chief of that community says the shooting appears to be- be a murder-suicide four victims being treated, including at least two students who were taken to a hospital. The shooting did happen in a classroom. Other students in the school were being evacuated and taken to a nearby school. We're talking about this situation on United Airlines. Flight from Chicago to Louisville. Flight was overbooked. They needed to get four of their staff on the plane, which means they needed to get four people off of the flight. No one would volunteer, so they randomly selected people, including one man whom they dragged out of his seat. They needed police to come in to drag him out, kicking and screaming as they bashed his face on the armrest and dragged him like a limp carcass up the aisle. It's really disturbing footage. And Vince has been waiting patiently at 204-780-6868 to tell his story. Vince, thank you for your patience. What do you have to say about this?
7: Interesting topic. Uh, My wife and I were coming back from Vegas about five years ago, and it was United. And uh, we had a transfer in Denver. Well, when we got there, they had to. They asked six people to volunteer to stay back. Well, when 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 we heard about what the perks were, it was six hundred dollars each. So my wife and I didn't have to be back in Winnipeg. So we decided to stay in Denver while well, they treat us royally. They give us a hotel room, a, a, a food voucher, and uh, six hundred dollars each. That was at seven o'clock in the morning. When well, we get to the airport, the next Day at 9 o'clock in the morning, go to get on our flights, they're 6 over again. So my wife and I look at each other and go, what the hell, let's stay. So we, we uh, <laughs> took another $600 each, and we stayed in the airport that time for 12 hours. They said we would be going at 7 o'clock that night, which we did. But while I was there, I really got to ask the United people, how do they determine if people don't volunteer to get off the plane? Well, they know what everybody pays for those plane tickets. So the lady said, if nobody volunteers, they will take the cheapest fares and more or less force them off and tell them they're off and, and bring the other people because they always overbook by six. She said they always overbook by six to eight people. So when we did get on at seven o'clock that night, we they put us in first class and we made twenty four hundred dollars sitting in the airport. You got first class. On on the seven o'clock flight we uh, did.
0: Outstanding. Well so they
7: were they were they were very good. And 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 she explained to me that that I mean I had a lot of time to talk to them and, and she was quite clear about they they take they know who pays what for their flights so the six cheapest flights on that plane of course they're going to get
1: to move that's right and the, their own regulation state you should get 2 to 4 times the ticket Price plus a full refund of your original ticket. And you're absolutely right, Vince. I've seen at least uh, a couple of different times where it references they know exactly who pays what for those tickets. Absolutely. And that will determine who they ask, or uh, I guess they have the right to demand who gets off the plane. Vince, thank you for that great story. And uh, Denver's a great place to get stuck anyway. You got it. Thanks, partner. Thanks, guys. Hey, and uh, by the way, we were going back and forth, uh, not exactly 100% sure about what happened with this passenger. And according to the story that we uh, printed off here, uh, Brett, the man disoriented and bleeding, that was the second video I think you were referencing, was apparently back allowed back on the plane, received medical attention. The entire flight had to then exit back into the terminal so officials could, quote, unquote,
0: tidy up. 127 on 680 CJOB. Global News is coming up next. 134 on the Monday afternoon. Greg and Brett with you.
1: Brett, I know you're probably not thinking about this, but I'm already taking a look at some of the offers that businesses extend to people of a certain age, and I, I, I it's cringeworthy when they start talking about 55. I'm not... 50 yet but I can see it from here and which means 55 isn't all that far away but I can't imagine viewing myself as a senior citizen at 55.
0: It seems a little little odd to think of that now that life expectancy is getting higher. It would seem to me that perhaps if if we were looking at altering the designation for senior perhaps maybe even it you would look further down the road not <laughs> Sooner?
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, the conservative government federally got in hot water when they suggested they wanted to raise the age of eligibility for CPP. They backed off on that and now... Uh, The Liberals are looking into that, maybe a graduated plan to increase the age because we're, like you say, living longer and we're also working longer and later in our lives. So to imagine that 55 would be considered a senior citizen has me kind of shaking my head a little bit. This comes out of a headline of a story
0: out of uh, St. John's, Newfoundland. Discounts and subsidies for seniors under more scrutiny than ever. This is out of Halifax, where Tom Hans says too many older people in St. John's, Newfoundland, are struggling to get by. That's why the city councillor, who also happens to be a senior citizen, thought it was a good idea to have the municipality lower the age limit for the discounts that it offers seniors seeking bus passes or admission to pools and other recreational programs. Quote, if there is anything we can do to take some of the pressure off these people, then let's do it adding that the age limit should eventually be lowered to 55 from 65. He says, we have a lot of people living hand-to-mouth all the time. Now, Han's well-meaning proposal was shot down with very little debate. A staff report dismissed the idea, noting the cities of Vancouver, Edmonton, and Moncton offer discounts only to those 65 and older, although two neighboring Newfoundland municipalities do have lower age limits.
1: Anthony Quinn is Director of Operations, Special Projects, and Fulfillment for CARP. And uh, Anthony, CARP was formerly the Canadian Association for Retired Persons. We about, we're, just, we're just going with CARP henceforth. Is that the deal?
8: That's right. We just use the, the name CARP. It's no longer necessarily an acronym. People don't retire the same way they used to. Many don't want to be identified as retiring, and some can't afford to retire. So we're advocating on behalf of all Canadians as we age, and the majority of our members are still retirees.
1: So what do you think of this idea of using 55 as an as a arbitrary threshold for... Uh, let's start with municipalities offering discounts on things like bus passes and entrances into their recreational facilities like swimming pools.
8: Yeah, that might be unique to Newfoundland. I know that that part of the country does have a higher incidence of poverty levels amongst seniors. So that might be a reaction specifically in that market. But when we're looking at discounts for retailers... I think they're seeing that 55 trend as being the tail end of that baby boomer demographic which we know to be huge, those born between 1946 and 1964. So, as many people as they can get into their stores who have that buying power, I think that's who they're trying to attract.
0: So, as uh you know Greg mentioned, he's he, he's not near there, but he can see 55. I'm having a hard time looking at my buddy Greg here and picturing him as a a qualified senior citizen. So the idea of changing the the number to 65 or to 55 from 65, uh, is that outside of Newfoundland, is that something that you think would, would fly anywhere?
8: Well, when it comes to municipal services and things like that, I think we're looking at equity. And when we are talking about discounts for seniors, you know, the traditional senior 65 plus, they're living on fixed incomes. And we know at CARP that one of their greatest fears is outliving their money. So when you have a relatively low income that isn't increasing on any regular basis and prices are going up for services, having that discount tied into seniors really does keep them engaged in the communities. It gets them on the buses, it gets them out to the fitness centers and the like. And I know some provinces have special uh, home tax pricing as well for helping them to age in place so that they are able to maintain their own homes despite the taxes increasing and their incomes not increasing. So programs aimed at including seniors into a society, I think those are fair. But Fifty-five may not be the right number for that.
1: Yet you will see there are some businesses that will, you know, have have their cut off for their seniors' uh, lunch menu or something at fifty-five. This is clever marketing on the part of these businesses. Do you think, Anthony?
8: Yeah, I don't think it's out of benevolence that they're doing that. It's a it's a marketing tactic here in Ontario. Shoppers Drug Mart has a, a sixty-five plus day, and it's a big attraction for seniors. And they know that that's a great way to attract seniors' business. And it's not necessarily out of the goodness of their heart. They're looking to attract that large group of consumers who make up the baby boomer demographic.
1: There is some argument that baby boomers have grown up and the most prosperous times in the history of, of Canada, uh, some dramatic increases in real estate prices in just about every major city in the country. And yet there it seems to be a sense that uh, once they're entering, once these baby boomers are entering into that retirement age, into that 65 to 70-year-old demographic, that that things economically uh, are going to be very difficult for them. Well, what's, the, what's CARP's take on this? it's
8: almost a a story of two different worlds they have the baby boomers who have the buying power whose homes have increased in wealth and are sitting on a lot of money in their nest egg but the 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 poverty rate in canada amongst seniors is also alarmingly high uh, the latest stats i have show about a 12% uh, seniors poverty rate uh, and that 's six hundred thousand people in Canada who are living in poverty, mostly among seniors, and those are most in most cases uh, women who are single so we have a, a large group of seniors who are well off, and we have a large group of seniors who need support
1: so what 's the key to to bridging and, and closing that gap between those that are going to retire in the most amount of comfort and those that are going to retire in the least amount of comfort? Are we doing enough to? plan for our own non-working days as Canadians?
8: Well, that's one of our biggest messages at CARP is to to be prepared for your retirement days. And that's one of the reasons we removed uh, an age limit on getting involved with CARP because people have to plan and prepare for the retirement. But if we're looking at discounts, perhaps a means testing program versus a senior's uh, age cutoff might be the answer, but that takes a lot of uh, bureaucracy on behalf of those offering the deals. So the, the age limit, was a way to be means-tested because seniors were living in poverty. But perhaps in the future, we move to a more uh, means-tested way of of granting these discounts to seniors.
0: Anthony, is Freedom 55, is that a pipe dream now for Canadians?
8: I I think it is. That, That marketing slogan has disappeared a long time ago. Seniors... And older Canadians don't want to necessarily retire the way that their parents did. And We know that you and I and and our peers are not aging the same way that our parents or grandparents did. They're staying engaged. They're staying involved. And even if they do retire from the career, they're reinventing themselves with new lifestyles and new choices and volunteer work. And some are uh, staying involved in the workplace in a in a part-time role. So I think Freedom 55 may have disappeared. People want to stay engaged. They don't want to take off. But they do like to travel, and they do like to... To, to eat in nice restaurants and, and get out and enjoy their retirement. Know, I think 50, Freedom 55 might be uh, just a dream.
1: I think, I think you might be right. Uh, in fact, I believe you are 100% right on this one, Anthony. Uh, for a lot of grandparents, uh, individuals that maybe uh, grew up in the Depression or shortly thereafter, a big part of their priorities – uh, when they retired, was that they be able to leave something behind for their children, for their grandchildren? Is that priority changing as uh, my generation, Brett's generation, are more affluent, have more? Is there less? Is that less of a priority for people in their sixties and uh, early seventies? Is is it about maintaining your own lifestyle versus leaving something for the kids and grandkids?
8: No, we haven't heard that they're they're changing that sort of philanthropic attitude, either towards their own families or to the community at large. We know that, that older Canadians are the biggest donors and they do leave the most money to charities and societies. And I, I've been hearing from, I, I'm 48 years old, I'm being hearing from my peers that they don't want their parents to leave them money. They want their parents to take care of themselves. They know they're going to be living well into their late 80s, early 90s. As uh, if they're over 65 right now, they're, they're likely to live that long. So they want them to be comfortable. And if they are scrimping pennies away for their children and grandchildren, I think they'd rather have their parents uh, enjoy a comfortable retirement. And then if there's anything left, pass it on to them.
1: I'm of the same age, uh, Anthony, and, and uh, that's my opinion on it as well, and I'm not looking for, for anybody to take care of me. You've worked hard to spend what you need, but uh, it, it feels to me with the, the in the era of reverse mortgages and these opportunities to take advantage of the equity that uh, certain generation have uh, built up, that there is greater opportunity and more enticement for uh, for those people to do so, and, and hey, like I say, way more opportunities for, for people to spend their money, because they are living longer.
8: Yeah. Well, we hope that equity in the homes will last, but it's not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And the you know the the market bubble is uh, being warned to us by the finance ministers across the country. So the the rise in incomes can quickly fall, and the, sorry, the rise in equity can quickly fall, and we can't rely on that for for everyone. And you know that great intergenerational transfer of wealth that will come for the baby boomers is inevitable. They won't be able to spend it all. So I think we'll see uh, the, those Gen Xers and the, and the Millennials uh, following them, they, they will have some of the benefit of the equity that their parents and grandparents have acquired.
0: Anthony Quinn, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Anthony Quinn is the Director of Operations and Special Projects and Fulfillment at CARP, talking about Uh, What is an appropriate age for a senior's discount? Triggered by a politician in St. John's, Newfoundland, a city councillor who suggested moving the age limit for discounts for things like bus passes down to 55 from 65.
1: I don't know what to tell you. I, I think 55 is way too young. It was shot down. This motion was shot down. So clearly a majority of city council in St. John's Newfoundland thought that this individual, Mr. Ham, was, was pushing the jambon just a little bit too far.
0: 204 780 <laughs> What do you think of this? If you are 55 years old and suddenly this change were to come to Winnipeg, how would you feel about that? As, you know, being eligible for a senior's discount. What would you think? 204-780-6868 is the number to call. Is this is this politician, Tom Han, is he on to something on this? 204-780-6868. You can talk or text, email brett at cjob.com or gmac at cjob.com. Your forecast is coming up next. 150.
1: What should be the magic number for seniors' discounts? And our company's doing a brilliant marketing job by calling you a senior at 55. Personally, that bothers me. <laughs> the idea of someone counting me in at, at 55 as a senior. I know I'm not there yet, but like I said, I can see it from there. Got a text message at 780-6868. I'm 56 and I don't mind being <laughs> being lumped in as a senior at 55. I guess anything to save a, a few bucks, right?
0: Yeah. Sometimes that's just the way we're built. I remember my mom, the first time she got to use the seniors discount, she was actually kind of excited about. About it. really when i'm a I'm a senior <laughs> give me my
1: discount, please My dad has probably got he's probably got a master book. My dad's still in Arizona, so I can talk about him like this he's <laughs> probably got a master book of all the places in in Glendale where he spends the winter where he can break out the he's sixty seven now, right so He's probably got all the discounts, all the different times, the early bird and all the different restaurant specials that he can take advantage of. He's a he's a pure Manitoban. He likes to save a, a few bucks. So uh, being the same way at 55, I don't know. But send us a text. Where are the best 55-plus discounts? I know I've seen a few. My favorite clip in the promotions for all the different shows is my favorite one is when Shadow reveals the fact that he was... <laughs> for a seniors discount not that long ago. I laugh every single time it gets played on the station.
0: <laughs> no, you're right. That That's a great moment. I'm sure he was not all that thrilled by it. We do have a text message here at 204-780-6868 that says, there are not many that I am aware of. In terms of places that offer discounts for fifty-five plus, Salisbury House apparently offers fifty-five plus, and it's perfect because it's discounted in a smaller portion, which works perfectly for me. So, okay, that's interesting.
1: Maybe I should be asking for the fifty-five plus just based on the portion size. (laughs) Well, never mind getting the discount.
0: Maybe that would help me on my on my portion sizing issues. Maybe you just could just ask for say maybe just don't put as many French fries on the plate. or I don't know. Are you out of your cotton picking mind? Well, if you, <laughs> <laughs> you just said that th- hey, this would help know, you,
1: you know yourself. Uh, there's several things that if they're out, you'll eat them, right? That's Doesn't why I'm matter. saying
0: ask for less.
1: Yeah, but then, yeah, you know. Not happening. <laughs> Although I do ask for the small fries. If I ever go to McDonald's, I do get the small fries now. Oh,
0: interesting. Mm-hmm. I remember going to the United States and being, this was a few years ago now, and I, was, I it was a bit of a culture shock to see what the choices were for your drink size and your fry size because all their sizes were bigger than our, like their version of small, medium, large is different than our version of small, medium, large. But not only did they have small, medium, large, they had extra large and like a pail. You could get like a bucket of pop that I'm sure was 100 ounces at White Castle. So you get 15 sliders, (laughs) you get the jumbo fries, and like 100 ounces of pop.
1: Mm, America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, and and other
0: things. Text at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight says South Beach Casino is uh, fifty years. That's of age right for a lot of discounts. That's true. We have that promotion right here on the stadium, uh, on the station. James is at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Hey, James, what do you think?
7: Uh, fifty five plus is great. Having being fifty five, I go to Shoppers Drug Mart uh, every Thursday. Get my discount. It's twenty uh, percent off every Thursday if you spend fifty bucks. They give you a ten dollar gift card. It's amazing. Really? And then you go to places like yeah, Rexall Drugs. Is uh, I think every Tuesday it's twenty percent off. Uh, you, you can't buy a gift certificates or lottery on that. But uh, and but other than that, it's uh, every Thursday I get all my groceries
1: done at Shoppers Drug Mart instead of the big stores. James, you've inspired me to get a fake ID. <laughs> I
0: haven't had yeah, a man. fake
1: ID since I was sixteen. I think I need one again. Thanks, partner. <laughs> all right, bye. <fine.
0: laughs> James, thank you. Frank, what do you Hello. think? Hi, Frank. What do you think?
7: Yes, I have. I have something for you, people here uh, in Hungary. All the pensioners. I'm not sure it's 60 or 65. After that, you want to uh, travel on a bus? Uh, you uh, you have a, uh, a citizen card, like okay. And you show that, and they give you a free ticket, okay? Once you get off of that, you go on to a, 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 a from the streetcar to the bus or a, or a train or whatever. You could travel 24 hours, okay? And you don't pay a penny.
1: You know? That's all the pensioners like that. And where is this, Frank? In Hungary. In Hungary. That is yes. fascinating. And and that starts at 55, 60, or 65? I, I am not sure what's the age limit. I think it's 60 or 65. All right. I'm okay. going to put Hungary on my bucket list for traveling then. <laughs> that'll be tre- uh, cheap in uh, Budapest. Uh, here's one from Jerry. He says the uh, Freedom 55, you know, we said it was... It was dead. The new slogan is Freedom Pine Box.
0: <laughs> yeah, I often a joke. Morbid. I often well, a I often like joke a- that I, I, I'm probably not going to be able to afford to retire. So I think my <laughs> retirement plan is death. Uh, just quickly here, here's another couple of notes. The Northern Store in Norway House offers different free products at the store if you are 55 plus. Another text at 204 780 06868 says Oakwood Golf Club awards you for being 55 plus. Uh, or you could say 55 or better, like the uh, the Life Lease building Kiwanis Chateau downtown. That's right. They, I would always say better. for those 55 or better.
1: That's right. You're asking this question of Manitobans? Of course we'll want the early discount. It's the
0: Manitoban way. <laughs> 157. 680 CJOB Global News is next.
1: 206 on this Monday afternoon. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are, however you may be tuning in. 680 AM in your car. Maybe you are tuning in on the Chorus app or the Canada Rocks. What is the name of that player that we're
0: promoting? Radio Player Canada. There
1: we go. Radio Player Canada. You can get all our Chorus stations on Radio Player Canada or uh, just uh, old-fashioned, online, you name it, you can connect with us. Uh, Venture capital is a huge concern. He's Brett, I'm Greg. For the future employers in this province, when you talk about entrepreneurship being such a critical part of the growth of the economy in Manitoba, tomorrow is budget day and a lot of opportunity for young people To start their own businesses, we visit with our next guest on a regular basis to not only promote, but to talk about why young people should consider being entrepreneurs, the challenges they face, and the success stories they are generating. Joelle Foster, futurepreneur, director for Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and the North, joining us now. And Joelle, you were featured in an article by Jen Zerati in the Winnipeg Free Press today, the conversation around... This idea of venture capital, its accessibility and its requirement. Why don't we talk about why do entrepreneurs need venture capital?
3: Thank you for having me on the show. Nice to talk with you guys. As always. Um, You know, there is a lot that's out there to get businesses started. But once they hit their third year and above, sometimes second year, but mostly third they, they need that growth capital, and it's almost impossible to go to a bank or any other institution to get that money, and especially if they really want to scale up. So, I mean, a lot of this is around tech and innovation companies, so they need that extra money. They need the, that venture capital money to take them to that next level, like skip the dishes. I mean, if they didn't get that VC funding, they wouldn't be where they are now.
0: Joel, before we move forward here, uh, one of the, Mark Saltzman, the host of Tech It Out on our weekend, he likes to say turning geek speak into street speak. So in the terms, uh, in case anybody is wondering about the jargon here, venture capital. What is venture capital?
3: Venture capital is, it's it's people or individual or a company or a fund. It's People coming in and investing into a company and getting a, a certain percentage uh, or a certain um, money and then getting a percentage back of that company. So if I invest $100,000 into a company, I might get uh, 20% um, return on that investment. So then they use that money then to, for growth and to get to the next level so that they can make that money to pay me back.
1: Joel, when I start a business as a young entrepreneur, where am I getting that first round of funding typically?
3: Typically, um, I would say most people are coming to Futurepreneur because, I mean, we've got the free resources, we can get you up to around $75,000, and then we're giving you a mentor for two years at no cost, and that's for $17,000.
1: Wow. So, so if you're
3: smart, you're coming to us.
1: <laughs> for sure. But and some people are going to family, they're going to friends. And so you can, you can get a venture off the ground. You can have the tutelage, you can have the mentorship from yes. futurepreneur. And then, oh my gosh, careful what you wish for. You just might get it. Now we've got something that's popular and that's when the real challenges can actually begin.
3: You know, in, in other places, they don't face as many challenges as we do in Manitoba. I mean, when Skip the Dishes was going around and looking for people to invest in them, I mean, a lot of the people, they, they didn't want to take the risk. We're very conservative here. and But not only conservative, is people that have a lot of money don't understand investment. So we should be offering some sort of workshops or... Classes or something like that saying, you know, if you've got money that you want to invest, this is how you do it safely. Because we have incredible companies here like Permission Clip, Click and FarmTrack and other companies that are looking for investors. And these people, if you want to invest in them, you are going to make money.
0: Joelle, you mentioned that we are conservative in this uh, community, in this province. Is that the main reason why there is a lack of venture
9: capital
3: in Manitoba? You know what? I think it is because we have a lot of money in this province as compared to some other ones, and yet they don't seem to have an issue because a lot of the money is with a lot of the baby boomers, and this wasn't something that was really around. And other provinces, a lot of the money is with millennials and they understand in order to make money you've got to, you know, dish it out a little bit.
1: So in this article there was a reference to the much maligned Crocus Crocus investment fund. Yeah. What was Crocus?
3: Well, I mean, I don't know a lot about what Crocus was. I mean, it it was around when I wasn't really in this, in the industry, but from what I understand, it was an organization that was investing in companies, and they just made a lot of bad investments, gave a lot of bad advice, and people lost a lot of money. So, and and the people that were putting their money into that, now they're gun shy. They don't want to do that again.
1: Is there? Is there? a need for something similar to fill the, this void, something that could uh, promote business and also give them a pool of money to, to grow these things? Because what happens if they can't find the money money here? What do they do eventually?
3: I think that we can create a fund, but we have to go about it completely different. The government cannot own it. Not one firm can own it. it. This way, this won't happen again. If we have, if it's set up properly, like, other provinces have done, but we do have to have some sort of fund. It's just getting all the right people in the room and actually doing it. There is a lot of talk around it, but no one's doing it.
0: So how do we then find a solution for this? How do we encourage more venture capitalism in Manitoba?
3: Well, I mean, we're, people like me are trying to get the government. Uh, to talk about this more. And they are. Um, I've met with a a couple of MLAs already who have a lot of interest. I think that we have to get through this federal budget. We need to see how much money is on the table. and, And maybe in spring when it's a little less busy, we can actually do a sit down with the government and with some private industry and talk about this and try and make it happen.
1: If you can't find venture capital in your hometown, is there a risk of, you mentioned skip the dishes? If they had not been able to find the funding and the government had not stepped up to the plate, and there are some people who don't like the idea of getting in the government involved in in private industry on any level, what would have happened to that organization, do you think?
3: Well, the money they got was for training. So, I mean, that was, that was money that was, I think, invested well because – They've already created over, uh, I think, 300 jobs, and they're on track to create 500. So I think that was a really good investment. But in terms of the venture, venture capital, as long as the government is not in control of that, but is at the table, then I don't think people should be too upset about saying that, you know, government shouldn't get involved. I mean, they are, but they're sitting at the table with everybody else. But they're it, not running it.
0: Is the lack of venture capital costing ultimately uh, costing our economy money from people who are deciding to pack up and go somewhere else?
3: Completely. I mean, think about if some of these other larger organizations leave. I mean, some already have. That's taking away jobs. That's taking taking away taxable revenue, payroll tax, all of that type. And then we, then we also get a reputation, a lot of younger people, a lot of new companies may not want to come here because they don't see how they can grow. So you're right, if we don't step up, we may not only lose young people, but we may prevent other organizations from coming into our province.
1: Talk about the hard work that's being done and has been done over the last decade or so, Joelle, to foster these individual entrepreneurs, these groups of young people who are getting together, who are finding a way to do it, to do it better, and to do it right here in Manitoba? Because in my mind, I don't know if the entrepreneurial community has ever been stronger in our neck of the woods.
3: It's never been stronger. It's incredible. But, you know, a part of that, too, is the millennials. I mean, when I opened the office here seven years ago, You know, millennials were just starting to come into their own. And as you know, um, them and the Gen Z are a very entrepreneurial generation, both of them. So as they're getting older, they're really looking at starting businesses. I mean, I'm getting calls, you know, sometimes up to a dozen calls a day, looking at people wanting to start businesses. Seven years ago, I was lucky if I got one a day. Wow. Wow. So, and I think we have some resources here. We might not have the venture capital right now, but we have some resources in Manitoba that other provinces do not have. And I think for startups. So I think that that alone um, sends a clear message to young people that, yeah, you know what? I can do this here in Manitoba.
1: So if you're going to get that VC, that venture capital, where do you go? How do businesses in Manitoba overcome that if, if they don't qualify for any support from the government, aren't at a stage where the government sees it worthwhile to invest? In, we mentioned skip the dishes a couple times because of the the training and that there is an obvious uh, benefit where, you know, they've already created uh, several hundred jobs. We're going to create more jobs. But what about when you're in the middle? Uh, do you have to go and sell your ideas elsewhere and how Time-consuming, can that be?
3: One of the nice things is uh, it's called North Forge Technology um, uh, Accelerator, and it's uh, it's just an organization, a nonprofit organization that helps innovative people um, kind of find not only start up their companies but also find that VC funding. So they have things like. Meetups, they have ramp up weekends. There's actually one coming up June 9th, 10th, 11th, where you can pitch your idea. And they're going to be bringing VCs in from BC and Ontario and other places. And this happens a lot. A lot of the companies that I've helped to start have gotten VC funding from other provinces because. There is starting to get known that Manitoba has some really incredible talent. So they are coming here and looking at our young people and investing in them. But we have to keep inviting them to come.
1: Joelle, a futurepreneur, such an outstanding opportunity for young people to get their ideas off the ground, these ramp-up weekends and such. Can you give us a couple of websites to visit?
3: Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, www.futurepreneur.ca. And future does not have an E in it, so future and thenpreneur. There's also www.northforge.ca. Uh, those are two really good ones to go to. And even if you're out of my age range of 39, you send me some information, I'll make sure you get to the right people.
1: Joel, you're a spark plug not only uh, for your organization, for futurepreneur, but for our community in its entirety. And I want to thank you for taking time with us today, and thanks for uh, shedding some light on this uh, important issue. It's uh, an opportunity, and it may be a missed opportunity for Manitobans overall to invest in the future drivers of our economy here in Manitoba.
3: Well, thank you for having me and uh, love CJOB.
1: Thanks, Joelle. We appreciate that very much. We'll talk to you soon, okay?
3: All right. Sounds good. Have a great week.
1: That's Joelle Foster. She is the director of Futurepreneur in Manitoba,
0: Saskatchewan and in the north. In the meantime, we have to take care of some business.
3: Your chance to win the 680 CJOB Okanagan Bucket List Flyway to Canada's premier golf resort, Predator Ridge, happens now. Be Caller 9 at 780-6868 to qualify. Go.
0: And what this gets you, it's quite a lengthy list of stuff here, so I don't think I'll even have time to go through the whole thing here, Greg. But it's amazing. Round trip airfare for two. Two nights accommodation at Sparkling Hill Resort and Spa. $250 resort credit towards curse spa treatments and or food and beverage at Sparkling Hill Resort and Spa. You get a resort tour, access to the sauna and pools, Blah, 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 wine, uh, <laughs> Hockey Canada, welcome, gift upon blah, arrival. Blah, blah, blah. There's just so much stuff here. And, Mission of course, Hill. you get a round of golf on Predator Ridge uh, public golf course for two people. More information, cjob.com. So call our number 9 at 204-780-6868, and you have more opportunities uh, 5.15 this afternoon on the news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham. 7.15 tomorrow morning on the Shadow Davis Show and 11.15 a.m. with Jeff Courier. You can register. If you haven't registered yet, you can do so at cjob.com. It's the Okanagan bucket list flyaway to Predator Ridge. 2.20, your forecast is up next I'm not a pessimist by nature, but I really didn't think we were going to get to
1: that 5-degree forecast high today. But we're at 4 at 224
0: in the afternoon. We just might make it, Brett McGarry. Yeah, I you said we're not going to get to 5. You ruled it out too early. I guess I did. That's okay. It's still, not, Either way, it's not... It's not, it's not that cold or not it, that warm.
1: Yeah, it's nothing to
0: write home about. As they Saturday it it was nineteen degrees here at Polo Park. Is that what it hit? Yeah, oh, it was gorgeous. And then the next day, well, I got up and went for a walk. At I don't know, I looked checked my weather app before I went out at about two thirty, and I, I looked at my phone and it said minus two feels like minus nine. And I thought this because sometimes I open my my app and it doesn't refresh, so it's the last time I looked at it from like the overnight I thought this got to be wrong refreshed it no I opened a different weather app yeah you
1: could, it was so cold you couldn't believe what it was uh, telling you Jeff Forche in your Jurassic Park t-shirt today I want to know if we uh, have a qualifier Yes we do we sure do Who was our ninth caller Jeff Jordan Logan Congratulations, Jordan.
0: Jordan Logan has qualified for the Okanagan Bucket List Flyway to Predator Ridge Contest, uh, which includes round-trip airfare for two. There's a round of golf on Predator Ridge Public Course. There is, uh, you get accommodations at the Sparkling Hill Resort and Spa. All sorts of stuff. More information at cjob.com. That's where you can register as well. It's
9: like uh, a Mission, great trip.
0: The Mission Hill Family Estate. You're going to get a sommelier
1: led tour, followed by a three-course wine, paired lunch in the vineyard. They have this incredible dining room that is outdoors. It's elevated. You can see out over the entire Okanagan Valley, over the Mission Hill Vineyard, onto the lake. It is absolutely amazing. At Mission Hill. And if you time the trip right, they have uh, very big superstars that come and perform at Mission Hill. Oh. Last year, I think they had, well, okay, superstars. Maybe I'm stretching. Michael Bolton was there. They've had a variety of uh, huge stars over the year. And if you time your visit to the Okanagan, right, you can get in. On some of these concerts, they're expensive, but they're worth it. Very intimate setting. One of the most beautiful places in the entire valley. So
0: congratulations. It sounds spectacular. You also get uh, two nights accommodation in a peregrine cottage at Predator Ridge. So you get two nights accommodation at Sparkling Hill Resort and Spa, and then two nights accommodation at Predator Ridge at a peregrine cottage. I don't know what that means exactly, but I'm sure it means it's fancy.
1: If you go to the Predator Ridge website, you can check it out. Uh, they have uh, outstanding accommodation there and the golfing Brett, we've got we're accumulating a very large to-do list of things that we need to do together. I would love to take you to Predator Ridge. <laughs> I, I've golfed there three times. It is absolutely oh my God spectacular.
0: 2.27 on 680 CJOB. Your next chance to qualify, by the way, 5.15 with Richard Cluche and Julie Buckingham on the news. 2.35,
1: he's Brett, I'm Greg. Wob canoe has thrown his hat in the race to become the leader of the NDP in this province. That amount, announcement made official today. Brett McGarry, you and I have... Uh, had the conversation before about the future of the NDP in our province
0: we've had that conversation with our next guest in fact yes we have and our next guest is Christopher Adams adjunct professor in political studies at the University of Manitoba Uh, Chris thank you so much for joining us today so I guess why don't we start with the simplest question what was your reaction when you heard this news
9: uh, great to be with you guys. Um, I, I wasn't surprised. We, we knew that uh, he was one of the front runners over the past number of months. I think when Kevin Chief uh, stepped down from the uh, from the NDP caucus to work with the Manitoba Business Council, that really left an opening for another MLA who was, uh, well, who had First Nations background or Indigenous background, but also someone who was a rising star in the caucus. So um, I wasn't surprised, and, and uh, for those who know Wab Canoe, he's not someone who who sits still for a long time. So I I think he thought himself as as a prime candidate. So I'm not surprised, and I think most people aren't surprised at all.
1: Uh, Wab, uh, could be described, and I will describe him as a controversial candidate, quite potentially. Uh, What's your take on his past in terms of his uh, songwriting career, some of the revelations uh, in his book about uh, some of his views on uh, women and the non-Indigenous community? Could this uh, pose a problem for him or typically... Can politicians once they 've made that transition from public uh, or private life into the public spotlight able to distance themselves from from those sorts of things
9: well i you know I think someone if uh, i 'm not an expert in p r relations, but I would say if someone uh, were to comment on it from that field, they would say he 's handled it very well he's he 's spoken op- openly about having you know some issues as a young man and uh, uh both as a rapper and in other ways and that he's uh he's moved on from there he's he's been fairly straightforward and i think um, I, I think most people in the party, firstly, would would uh, would accept that explanation, and uh, it might be it might be a bit of a problem when if he were to become the leader and in an election campaign, you can bet the the liberals, if they were threatened by the NDP or the PCs, that they would make a lot of hay out of his past. But I. I think he's handled it very ably. I think he's been quite honest, and uh, um, so so I don't think it will be the millstone as around his neck as if, as if it would be um, as it was becoming during during the last election when it was started to surface.
0: There are the rap lyrics in particular. I mean, they're almost. That happened almost a a decade ago. Um, When it comes to politics or things like this, where they refer to things that happened years and years ago, like at what point do, should we say, okay, like, let's just let
6: it go?
9: Yeah, you know, I mean, he's a he's a politician who's in his mid thirties right now. He was doing those things when he was uh, in his early twenties and mid twenties at the at the oldest. And so, I, I think uh, if we all reflect, you know, those among your radio audience, if we reflect what we were doing in our early twenties, you know, we're Kind of happy that people aren 't talking about it, so um, so I, I think at, at some point we, you have to move on and uh, you know unless it 's some sort of hidden crime or something that suddenly um, gets uncovered so so i, I think I think he 's going to be uh, i 'm not partisan here i 'm not a member of the party but i I think I think he would be a strong leader for the NDP. He's articulate. He he has a national presence. He's well uh, educated, and um, and he tells it like it is. And and that's the other reason why I don't think his. Past uh, um, activities as a young man will hamper him as much as other people, because he's someone who kind of can shrug off these sorts of things. Much like um, I'm just trying to think of Pierre Trudeau used to be able to shrug off things that people would uh, <laughs> would expose. So, so I, I I think he'll be a strong candidate, but I think there are other strong candidates that might uh, pop up as well.
1: Uh, who uh, comes to mind when you when you utter that phrase? Other strong candidates that may arise.
9: Well, I, I think uh, we we might see uh, uh, somebody from the north. We might see somebody from the labor movement. I I think there are a couple of candidates who are probably mulling the idea in in caucus right now one would be Andrew Swan uh, but he has uh, some some uh, baggage from being one of the gang of five when when uh, um, the cabinet ministers walked out of Selinger's cabinet so there would be some problems there but he I'm sure he's mulling over that and the other one was Matt Weeb who who uh, is kind of uh, flies a bit under the radar but he's he's got some uh, um, some experience in caucus and and uh, he might be able to to bring some some folks along. I think also there might be one or two in um, in the city government who might be pondering the idea, but I, I can't really think of who, who those would be, and uh, some folks in the labor movement. Uh, another possibility is somebody from the, um, from the federal NDP who might be mulling coming in, but we certainly won't see Pat Martin.
0: The uh, only other candidate so far, Michelle McHale, a labor executive mm-hmm. who joined the NDP a year ago has not had yeah. any major endorsements. What can you tell us about uh, her chances?
9: Well, I, I think they're they're slim right now, especially with Wab canoe coming in. Um, she, uh, I mean, she at least she makes it a little bit more interesting having at le- least two candidates. She, um, I mean, she hasn't been in the party formally for for a very long time. She, uh, uh, one of her. Um, Points that will win some support in the NDP on the convention floor. Well, she is that she's a, a gay activist and has led uh, pride parade organizing um, um, activities in Winnipeg, in Manitoba South uh, region. So um, she she will draw some support, but I, I think that she she has to be a bit longer in the party uh, for her to draw um, a sizable following. You mentioned the other thing. Oh, go, sorry, go, go ahead, please. One, one other thing. I think one thing that's significant is, is you have to come to the leadership with, with some sort of winning record. And uh, somebody who isn't holding a seat is, is automatically operating with a handicap. Or somebody who uh, has lost a seat also comes in with a handicap. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, Steve Ashton. Some people have thought that maybe he would throw his hat in the ring. But the fact that he lost his uh, his uh, northern constituency in the last election really does handcuff him for running again.
1: I think if the NDP who wants to make any inroads here, the idea of going to the past is, is not going to help them. That's a personal commentary on my uh, mm-hmm. behalf Christopher Adams is adjunct professor in political studies at the University of Manitoba based at st. Paul's College he joins us now and you mentioned Kevin chief and so you know both wob canoe and Kevin chief uh, of indigenous background indigenous yep. heritage but both young both well-spoken mo- both popular what what's more important uh, when we reference those two individuals? The fact that they're of Indigenous background or the fact that they're young and well-spoken and well-known?
9: Well, I I think they feed into each other. uh, The um, they're, they're both uh, Aboriginal background and Kevin Chief very strong connection to the Métis community as well as through his father and Wabas through the First Nations community through um, through his parents and so so they come from somewhat different backgrounds within the indigenous community but I I think that it, it shows the changing uh, demography of Manitoba the fact of the uh, we're now seeing a number of folks in the Aboriginal community who are moving into um, educated occupations um, taking lead Leadership um, showing themselves as as, uh, as quite capable, and and um, if you think some years ago there are very few people in the urban middle class from that uh, demographic, so it reflects our changing society and and. Uh, probably in a good way. And you have to think, too, that our, our interim, when I say our, I mean Manitoba's Liberal Party, the, um, the interim leader is also uh, from, from the Indigenous community, having uh, t- uh, unseated Eric Robinson in the last uh, election. And another um, rising star is Nahani Fontaine, who, who uh, um, represents much of the northern part of northern of Winnipeg region in her constituency. And I think if Wab had not run, she would have run, and she's a very articulate, and, and uh, um, um, capable politicians. So I think it's a sign of the changing nature of our electorate as well as um, uh, a more of an acceptance, quite rightly so, of, of uh, people in our Indigenous community running for office.
0: Is this a party that can be healed after the, the debacle of the, the Rebel Five and all that stuff?
9: You know, it's. it's uh, I think what might might be hampering it, the healing is, is uh, as much as I admire Sellinger, and I do because of his background in economics and and the work he did um, with uh, Gary Doer, But I I think it is hampering the party that he's staying in the caucus, and and it's. Uh, um, it, I I think that much of the healing has to occur once he leaves, and not not unlike when uh, Sterling Lyon was the premier, and and he was defeat he was defeated by Howard Polly. And he stayed around when Gary Philman took over the the leadership, and it did make it a bit difficult for the the uh, the, uh, the new leader of the Progressive Conservatives to to be dealing with a caucus with a very seasoned veteran sitting in his back um, bench. So, so I, I think the healing needs uh, um, some healing within caucus and among the supporters. But I, I I know there are some NDP supporters who will never vote for a leadership candidate who is one of the gang of five, and and uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen Teresa Oswald sort of with great wisdom moving away now and, and um, the other members of that gang of five sort of drifting on, off to their careers or to their retirement.
1: One of the first questions that came to my mind when I heard that, that Bob Canoe had declared his intention to become the leader of the NDP in Manitoba was how patient would he be? Jeff Courier asked him that exact question. We have about 49 seconds of his answer here.
6: I do. You know, I am optimistic. Um, You know, the the team that I've uh, started to put together has a lot of talent. It's people who helped uh, Gary Deward during his rise. There's people who were part of the successful things that the NDP uh, did in government. And then there's also uh, the people that I think have tremendous potential and the people that I think are going to win next time. But you know, to your point directly, uh, I'm optimistic that we can, you know, build a strong team within three and a half years. But uh, yeah, I am in it for the long haul. What I like to say is, um, I got a nine year old son, and uh, I'm not going anywhere till he's in his mid twenties. And uh, during that period, uh, I want to do what I can in the political realm to make the province that he's growing up in uh, as best I can.
1: Are we looking at a long term? Let's pretend for a moment, Wab Canoe is the Leader yeah. of the Opposition in a year's time. Are we looking at a long-term job uh, with that title on his business card?
9: It could be. You know, Gary Doer, when he was made leader, was in 1986 or 88, 1988, I believe. And, and he went through a number of defeats. And finally, as you know, he did his big breakthrough election in 99, and that probably— would have been the last election if he had not won it and so he he was you know sat in opposition for well over a decade i think the difference between wab canoe and some other folks might be that wab canoe um, came fresh to the legislature newly elected beat rana bakari and another strong candidate audrey gordon for the pc so he came in and he's probably still like enjoying the 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 learning about being an MLA and the dynamics of being on Broadway and um so for him this is sort of like this is probably quite interesting as he builds up the his leadership race. Whereas someone like Kevin Chief or somebody else who had been in the um, the Challenger cabinet would probably feel like, "Ho hum, I, you know, I was at the top of the world, and now I'm leading this tiny opposition caucus, and now I've got to rebuild." So, I think for Wob, this is going to be quite interesting for the next few years, and will sustain his interest.
1: Well, we probably could continue this conversation for another half hour or more, (laughs) Professor, but we have to uh, cut it off there in the interest of time. So we'll thank you for your contribution as always, and uh, we appreciate the access as always. Thanks
0: a lot, and have a great Easter, everyone. Uh,
1: You too, Christopher Adams, joining us from the
0: University of Manitoba. PhD, adjunct professor in political studies at the of M, based at St. Paul's College. And uh, I don't, I'm sure we'll probably end up hearing from him tomorrow as well uh, for budget coverage on 680 CJOB. 248 on 680 CJOB, your forecast is coming up next. 252, he's Brett, I'm Greg. Wob
1: Canoe would have to be, if the leadership vote was held today... You'd have to think it would be a landslide victory for him. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Michelle McHale, I don't know if she would uh, really have a chance against him. A whole lot of people concerned, I think, about Wab Canoe's past. I have met, interviewed, and had conversations with Wab Canoe over many years about a variety of issues, predominantly uh, how they affect the indigenous community and the First Nations communities in our province. And I've always been inspired by by him and by the point of view that he brings on those issues. But I would be concerned that there are a lot of people that might have a hard time with this past. I understand the past is the past, but I think that there are people who are going to hold this against him.
0: Well, and as Chris uh, Adams pointed out, that you can... You can bet that, it's a, well, there is no point in betting. There will be advertising highlighting his past, highlighting the lyrics, the words that came out of his mouth as a rapper, uh, where he was spouting misogyny and homophobia, which, by the way, and I, this is not a defense of of it in any way, but that is... Quite, that's been common in in rap music. It's one of the unfortunate aspects of rap and hip-hop culture and has always been it's always full of misogyny, often full of homophobia over recent years, maybe not so much the homophobia, but the misogyny is still there. So he was just doing what rappers do and probably just trying to come up with clever rhymes to make it sound funnier whatever. Again, this is not a defense. I'm just sort of commenting in general uh, about hip hop culture. So I don't know that I necessarily have a problem of him doing what all the other rappers are doing. And he has come out and said repeatedly, look, I'm, this is not who I am anymore. He referenced his nine-year-old mm-hmm. child in yep. that clip. Like this is now, uh, uh, he's now, this is when he was still uh, uh, safe to say probably a dumb boy. Now he's a man trying to do what is better for his family. I have said lots of times, I don't know too many people whose past
1: lives could survive a forensic audit. Someone going through all your social media history, going through whatever presentations you might've made in the past, offhanded comments you might've made in private oh, God. that might've been unfortunately or unintentionally recorded in some way, shape or form. I know my life couldn't survive that forensic Audit. Uh, There are lots of things that I've said when I was younger that I would never, ever want my kids to hear me saying. I would never want the public to hear me saying. And that's just the way it is. I think that's the way it is for most people. And so, once again, I'm not defending any of it. I just believe that a lot of people are going to have a hard time with this.
0: Uh, If anything, it'll make it interesting.
1: Uh, <laughs> fair enough. From an observer's point of view, I think you're bang on there. Greg at seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight says, sorry guys, don't buy it. I did a lot of stupid things in my 20s, but I was not racist, homophobic, or mis- mis- misogynistic. Wob canoe can't say the same. A leopard can't change its spots. If it were a Caucasian candidate that had done and said the same things, we wouldn't even be entertaining talk of forgiveness. I guess unless you're in the United States and we're talking about the president, then that's a little bit different. Then we're allowed to overlook some of the disgusting things that the gentleman who occupies the white house has done and said, uh, not with any twisting of any graphics, any words, any audio, any video in his own plain spoken words, uh, a gentleman who quite blatantly talked about sexual assault of a woman and had it captured on audio tape on videotape was elected president of the United States.
0: It is 2.56 on 680 CJOB. After Global News at 3 o'clock, we're going to speak to an author who is also an expert on international ransom and kidnapping experiences. The name of the book is The Freedom Broker. The author's name is K.J. Howe. She joins us at 3.07 on 680 CJOB. 3.08,
1: he's Brett, I'm Greg. And, Brett, there's a commitment to one's craft that many individuals are prepared to Indulge in, and our next guest has gone above and beyond. Author KJ Howe has immersed herself in the world of kidnapping for the last three years, interviewing kidnap negotiators, former hostages, kidnap and ransom insurance executives, hostage reintegration experts, psychiatrists specializing in the captive mindset and the special forces soldiers who deliver ransoms and execute rescues i can only imagine how detailed her latest book
0: is the book is the freedom broker she joins us now live on 680 cjob kj Howe, thank you very much
2: It's lovely to be here with you guys today
0: Should we call you Kimberly or KJ by the way
2: Either one is fine actually KJ's probably better just because it it'll be easier for people to know you know the book
0: Okay mm-hmm. so how did you get into, into the world of international uh, kidnapping and ransom?
2: Well, um, growing up, in, I uh, had the opportunity to live internationally. My father worked in telecommunications, and so I was often the minority in interesting countries, like I lived in Africa and Saudi Arabia and Puerto Rico, and um, it really gave me a snapshot into that sort of you know overarching shadow out there, and I found kidnapping quite fascinating. Um, it's sort of a purgatory of sorts, Because you're alive, but you're not really living. It's like you're frozen in a bubble. And I really wanted to explore that. um, And I learned about these people called response consultants. And these people basically travel to the hot spots of the globe to bring hostages back home.
1: So there are 40,000, and the active word here, the interesting word is reported kidnappings every year. So we have to imagine that the real number is higher than that. That translates into five people every Hour. This is a huge business, a huge enterprise for terrorist groups and for organized crime, fair to say?
2: Absolutely, and, and it's really growing exponentially, which is really worrisome. And the reason for that is twofold, really. And one is that um, terrorism, they're doing a lot of fundraising through kidnapping. Uh, the oil has dried up in some spots, and so they're focusing instead on, you know, kidnap for ransom. And it's been very lucrative uh, since 2009, um, terrorists have been able to, um, you know, basically uh, have about $125 million to spend. And then secondly, um, a lot of uh, third world countries have displaced military and police. And these people have no way to put food on the table and have family to feed, but they have wonderful security skills. So they turn to kidnapping as a way of making a living. And the prosecution is, you know, pretty much nil there. So they don't have a high risk of being caught. So it's become kind of an institution and another just another job, really.
1: You may have on holiday in Mexico and other uh, countries may come into contact with individuals who are, in fact, employed in the police force, and they're looking for their little piece of the action. They all have friends who are DJs and bartenders that that make multiple more money uh, every night or or on a monthly basis than they do, and they... Tend to, shall we say, implement and enforce their own personal tourist taxes at time to time. We we, we see this, and a lot of us have experienced this on a very small scale.
2: Absolutely, and that's why it's a really tricky job um, for response consultants, which is the industry term for kidnap negotiators. Because when they go into places like Mexico, they can't really trust anyone, so they go in undercover. You know, sometimes as an English teacher or a marketing manager. And they get with the hostage's family and try to work, you know, to negotiate for the release of the hostage. It's a very tricky business, and uh, and it is really, you know, financially based and motivated. And uh, it, usually what happens is the kidnappers ask for an astronomical sum, and you have to haggle back and forth, and it ends up being about 10 to 15% of the original asking price that they settle on.
0: K.J. Howe is the author behind The Freedom Broker, and we're going to continue our conversation with K.J. Howe in a moment because we want to ask her about the book, and I also want to ask her about Thriller Fest, which is coming up later this year in July. All of that after Traffic and Weather Together. Next. I have to
1: admit, a book has to be based in fact in order for me to enjoy it if it's a fiction type of book, and I suspect that uh, this book, that we're discussing right now, The Freedom Broker, K.J. Howe, might fit that description aptly. We're talking about this uh, book from K.J. Howe, The Freedom Broker, and the idea... That There are 40,000 reported kidnappings across the globe every year. The real number has to be much higher than that. And, and uh, KJ, we have spent some time talking about what you've done to prepare to write this book. Why, why such a commitment to, to get it right and to, to get inside the minds of these individuals?
2: Well, I'm like you. I really enjoy learning when I read. Um, I I love the idea of a fictional story where you can escape. But at the end of the day, when you put it down, hopefully your knowledge will be greater. And um, I found, like I said, the the people that do this kind of work are fascinating. Um, They travel and risk their own lives, leave their own families to bring hostages back home. And I really wanted to explore what it would be like to be one. So I created a character named Thea Paris. And um, Thea basically became a freedom broker, as I call them, uh, because her brother was kidnapped in front of her when she was only eight years old. Um, Her brother became a child soldier and um, really was never the same. And so Thea was motivated to go and try and help other hostages across the globe. And um, so I think it's just a really important issue, a very current issue. And as we mentioned earlier, you know, it's a growing um, problem in the world. And I think we're going to hear a lot more about it in the media as, we, as time goes forward.
0: One of the, I see a quote here from uh, New York, number one New York Times bestseller James Patterson, referring to the Freedom Broker as fact and fiction at its best. So when you see uh, reviews like that for your book, uh, what's your reaction to that?
2: Well, I'm very honored because James is an incredible writer and, and you know, so incredibly talented. So yeah, it's huge. And uh, I'm going to try to work hard to keep keep that going because uh, I was very lucky to get a two-book contract. And so this will be a series. And that's part of the reason why I did such an incredible, you know, in-depth research into the background with Kidnapping Ransom is because there's so many different types of kidnapping and different potential scenarios. And I feel like there's endless options for future books. Uh, For example, my second book, which will be coming out next year, is called Skyjack. And I I can imagine, you know, what that's about, right? (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. We might be able to guess. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about this annual event in New York. It's called Thriller Fest.
2: Sure. I've been very fortunate to be the executive director of Thriller Fest for the last eight or nine years. And basically, a thousand thriller writers from across the world come to New York City, to the Grand Tide in Manhattan, every July. And we basically, you know, we talk a lot about writing. We have experts come in from the FBI, ATF, uh, Secret Service, and talk about, you know, the in-depth stuff so that our writers can get the facts right in their books as well. And it's really um, fun if you're a thriller enthusiast, feel free to come. If you're an aspiring author, it's also a great way to learn about the craft of writing.
0: So you're the executive director of Thriller Fest, happening July 11th to the 15th in the Grand Hyatt, New York City. You're the author of The Freedom Broker. You're an expert on international ransom and kidnapping experiences. And you also uh, conduct or have conducted safety presentations uh, regarding traveling abroad. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: sure i'm i am have been very lucky, like I said, growing up internationally to have a lot of travel experience. Uh, I love travel adventure, and I, I'd like to go to different places, but I also want to make sure that I do it cautiously and safely and so i 've kind of delved into that world and tried to you know come up with some really good safety tips for people, for example, you know if you 're traveling alone, try to first of all try to avoid traveling alone because you 're a higher target. But um, if you have to travel alone, and especially if you're a woman, definitely talk about your boyfriend or your husband back at the hotel. Make people think that you're with someone. And uh, whenever you leave on an extended trip, leave a detailed itinerary for the people back home so they know where you are when. And so if something happens and you go missing, they know where you last were. And, uh, you know, other, you know, reasonable things, just like as we were talking about earlier in Mexico, you know, with people, bartenders and such paid off, try not to imbibe an alcohol And, you know, be vulnerable. Because the best thing in the world you can do is to become a hard target. So don't use your cell phone, you know, when you're in the street. If you need to look something up, go inside a restaurant, take a peek, then come back out and and have some situational awareness when you're traveling.
1: I leave all my jewelry at home. I don't wear my wedding ring. I don't wear watches or anything when I go away for, for uh, some of those reasons. Uh, this is a fascinating uh, visit with you, KJ, and this book uh, looks absolutely incredible. I have to get my hands on a copy. This uh, is a, a crazy world, and uh, you're bringing uh, the story to life here for us, and one aspect that is uh, growing by the
0: hour, it seems. So we appreciate your time today.
2: Oh, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me on.
0: And one final question before we let you go, KJ. Sure. Do you have any websites you want to plug? Oh, excuse me, of course.
2: Oh, well, thank you very much for that kind uh, offer. Um, well, I'm at kjhow.com and thrillerfest.com. So, uh, kjhow for the Freedom Broker and thrillerfest.com if you'd like to learn more about the conference. And uh, my email is on both sites, and I'd be delighted to hear from anyone who's interested.
1: And like you need uh, an excuse to go to New York City. That sounds like a good one.
2: I know, it's it's a rough job, right? <laughs> <laughs> thanks, KJ. But you can do it. Anyway, thanks so much again, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much.
0: KJ Howe is based in Toronto, and she is the author of The Freedom Broker. And once again, I, I'm just going to read this because it sounds do cool. It. There are 25... Elite kidnap negotiators in the world. Only one is a woman, and she's the best in the business. Meet Thea Paris in *The Freedom Broker*. I, this sounds like it—that it, well, could be a movie, right? Yeah. And if she's it's, if she's writing more books, I think she there could this could be like a, a new Jason Bourne kind of series. Yeah, so. I think it's got screenplay written all over it. 322 on 680 CJOB. Traffic and weather together. Up next. The National Hockey League playoffs get underway on Wednesday night.
1: Three of the five Canadian teams that qualified for the playoffs in action Wednesday. Of course, the Winnipeg Jets did not qualify for the playoffs in spite of their seven-game winning streak to end their 2016-2017 schedule. Yesterday, the players faced the media. Today, it was head coach Paul Maurice and general manager Kevin Sheveldayov. Jets Nation, under the impression there is a shopping list for a handful of pieces to complete the roster that, uh, well, wasn't quite good enough to get into the Stanley Cup tournament. Christian O'Mell was there on behalf of 680CJOB. And at the top of that list, for most fans of the Winnipeg Jets, Christian would be a veteran
5: goaltender. It doesn't sound like this shopping list is very long, listening to Chevy and Paul Maurice today. There was some mention about, yeah, you know, Pavlik is going to be moving on and we're going to have a chance for someone else to get the number one role. They're not giving it to Connor Hellebuck. He'll have to earn it. But the impression is that they will go out and look for somebody, whether that's an older player, a younger player, I wouldn't say. But they seem to be also under the impression that not only do they have a lot of good young talent already with the Jets, but they look at the pipeline, they look at what the Moose have Guys like Rosalvik, Kyle Connor, even mentioned Brandon Brandon Lemieux to come up and fill some of the lower spots on the forward core. Now, the defense, obviously, there's less there in the pipeline. Tucker Poolman is going to have a big role on this team. Just had his first surgery. He's having a second one in the coming weeks. The first surgery went well. also, don't know whenever you hear anyone say the surgery didn't go well. But anyway, uh, so this is what Shevoldayoff had to say on defense and the next steps this team has to take.
1: Certainly it stares you in the face. We'd like to be better defensively. We'd like to be better, you know, on the discipline side of it. Um, Can you, you know, find ways to incrementally, uh, you know, get better? Is it going back to practicing, practicing differently? Is it going back to, you know, again, the opportunity to have, you know, your full complement of defense? And can we teach this group? Can can this group with the experience that it's gained now cut down on some of those defensive uh, things? Can they cut down on the goals against? Can they do that and, and continue to grow you know, offensively that you know Paul has allowed them to, to gain that confidence and have that confidence offensively? Can we do that?
5: That's the next step. A lot of questions there that he's asking that the players more or less have to answer next season. They're going to be playing the patient game. They really like what they have right now in the top six, a lot of young talent. But the question now is are they going to make the next step? There's no guarantee that'll happen, but that's what they're hoping will happen.
1: Kevin Chevaldeo of asking the exact same questions and expressing the exact same concerns you, Keith McCullough, and I expressed on Sports Sunday yesterday. Their lack of discipline, Mm -hmm. their inability to perform on special teams, power play and penalty kill, uh, and just this whole idea of getting better, not necessarily from within, but adding a few pieces. Why is the general manager of the Winnipeg Jets asking the same questions to the media that the media has of this organization rhetorical
5: questions that it's gonna be up for I guess the players to answer he's saying we've got and you know we've been dealt a nice hand we like what we've got and we can tinker a little bit and you you know the third and fourth lines you look at guys like Andrew Kopp Adam Lowry Joel Armia they like those guys a lot and for good reason but that doesn't leave a lot of space for new parts to get into this lineup And whether that's through free agency or through you know looking at who's on the moose the clip from paul maurice you know on the young players i'll let him explain it but it's along those same lines that they're probably not going to differ too much from the status quo
10: it doesn't need to be turned around it's already headed in the right direction this is by far the youngest but also the team with most opportunity i think that i've ever coached clearly take the 10 there are 12 young players that I've had here. They're developing well, they're playing well, and they're going to get better. It's going to look an awful lot like this team, but five months older. It means we'll be better at the end of the season following than we start. We'll be a good team. Will we be a great team? all depends on how far we can push them, how far we can get them in the course of the year.
5: There
1: you go. It th- sounds like a coach who has decided that uh, this seven-game winning streak and their performance down the stretch, as we highlighted yesterday, in their last 35 games, they were uh, performing at a 110, roughly 110-point 110 pace mm-hmm. in their last 35 games. And there was concern from the fans and from, from the public at large that follow this hockey club that this seven-game winning streak would induce this sort of reaction from the hockey club that well, maybe we have uh, all the things that we need. In this day and age, when championship teams are are trading out some of their top pieces, is th- this concerning in any way, shape, or form?
5: It was amazing. You know, I was live-tweeting this news conference, and the tweet that by, got by far the most visceral reaction was the quote of Paul Maurice saying, next year's team is going to look an awful lot like this year is just five months older. There's been a big emphasis on this young players taking the experience of this year and growing on that, building on that. Uh, One of the bigger parts of that is Connor Hellebuck, and it's been a divisive issue goaltending in this franchise. Right now, they're not sure if Hellebuck's the guy. They gave him a year. We're still not there yet. Uh, Here's what Maurice said on the development of his
10: young goalie. What he went through this year, dealing with the adversity of the year, dealing with the bumps in his confidence, he's going to learn how to fight now, learn how to compete a little harder. And, and that may be the most important piece that young players need to, to learn. Learning how to grind through that and the mental grind of it. To get to be great, those guys pass through that. They go through it. They have their tough nights. They, they get pulled. They have to fight for their confidence on their own. He had to do all of that this year. Saw progress in his game. He's got a lot, lot of room to, to keep getting better. I believe in him. I believe in his talent level and his compete level that he's going to continue to get better.
5: So, a vote of confidence in a way, but he didn't give the number one spot to Connor Hallibuck. He's going to have to go out there and earn it, and but he's going to be given every opportunity to do that next year.
1: A nine zero seven save percentage, forty first in the National Hockey League, twenty six wins, but he was pulled eight times, and yeah. that's where a <laughs> lot fans of of this downs, team. Oh, yeah. That's where the fans of this team are looking at Connor Halibuck and going, he may be good down the road. But there's no way you can go in with a plan of having him exclusively as your option at goaltender. Michael Hutchinson didn't give them quality backup goaltending this year until it was way too late. Uh, The absolute feeling here is that the Jets have to go out and get somebody else. It sounds as though they're going to do that. Will they do much else? Uh, I guess we'll let Chevy continue to ask the questions that we're asking
5: ourselves. Yeah, there you go. It's going to be an interesting offseason with the expansion draft, too. Obviously the coach and gentlemen are not gonna show their hand on who what they're leaning towards for the expansion draft. Paul Marie said he's got a list, but ultimately it's up to Chevy to figure out who goes. And then after that, that's when you start looking at free agency, who you want to bring in, goaltending defenseman. Do you package up the young couple young forwards to get a you know a fourth, you know, second pairing D guy? These are questions that we'll see answered over the next few months, but I think ultimately October. Like Paul Marie said, this team's going to look an awfully lot the same, and it's up to the young guys to make that next step if they want to make the playoffs.
0: Thank you, Christian. No problem. Christian O'Mell joining us to talk about the Winnipeg Jets as their season ends, but have no here, hockey fans. The North American Ice Hockey Championships start on Wednesday. 346 on 680 CJOB. I have a dashboard
1: of all my... Cities that I like to visit on my weather app. It's 26 degrees in Montreal right now. Oh. 10 degrees in Calgary. Calgary looking at snow at different times in the day. Four of the next five days. And yeah, that tantalizing temperature forecast for Friday calling for around 16 degrees. But yes, rain. That's not going to be a lot of fun for your first round of golf no. of the year out at Kingswood.
0: Yeah, I'm not. Unfortunately, I'm not a rain or shine kind of person.
1: It's shine or, or <laughs> at least or not it's the rain. clubhouse for you. <laughs> at least not rain tomorrow. So. Of course, uh, the provincial government here in Manitoba will bring down the budget. We will have. Uh, I it's beyond extensive coverage for you here on six eighty CGOB. What's happening uh, on the day leading up to the budget? Richard Clutech, Julie Buckingham.
0: Well, we're looking at the
1: minimalist movement.
11: Yes, this is a movement in Japan, and and we'll tell you the story of of one man. He has a total of one hundred and fifty possessions. Hmm. So, could you? How many live, shirts? How many shirts? Uh, I think it's, I think it's three shirts, three or four shirts, three pairs of pants, four pairs of socks.
0: There's no way I could do that.
11: And then, and then, like his whole—that's his whole apartment. It's one hundred and fifty items. So, you know, on the. Th- Springboarding on that, it is spring, spring cleaning, decluttering. And what are the things, what are the three things that you would absolutely have to keep well, in your life?
0: So, how does it work? Like, if, for example, he has, like, uh, we just mentioned golf, like,
11: I think if it's a
0: set of go- one set, does that count as an item? I would give
11: you a set. Of golf clubs.
0: Okay. Because like it comes a,
11: in one bag. Hey, that's
0: 149 left, Brett. <laughs> well, because that, well, that's what I'm thinking. Like, if if it were 14 golf clubs and all the golf balls in my bag, does each no. everything count well, as a single I don't know. item?
11: Maybe. He did say four pairs of socks.
0: Okay. Right.
11: So I, I will oh, give okay. you a set
0: okay.
1: of so golf like a, clubs like and all the accoutrements. Knives. Okay. So the socks don't count as eight items? He's no. giving himself uh, one item as this four This isn't pairs the of checkout socks. counter. No,
11: I would think that would be like four okay. things.
1: Okay. not the I checkout gotcha. counter at yeah. Sobeys. Uh, right. I don't know. That's a ridiculous movement. Why do we have <laughs> like, this lack of stuff? Things are great. Things are awesome. Buy lots oh, so of things. Oh, your, so
11: your, your house is... <laughs> You know, perfectly organized? Is that what you're saying? Oh, not
9: in you any know, way, way,
1: shape, or form. I, I'm kind of with Mackling on this. I, I like stuff. I just absolutely like stuff. It's well, we good. Yeah, I go to the we, store. Hey, there's stuff. Yeah. I need this stuff. <laughs> I want more stuff. Well, see
11: what he says and why why people there are behind it. So, Well, they have very small
1: homes there in Japan.
11: They do blame earthquakes as, as part of it.
1: Oh, so this so. is a safety issue as well.
11: Well, no, it's about not having to replace those things. Okay.
1: All right. Okay.
11: So it's just that thought and to get you thinking, what are the three things that you absolutely would keep at the top of your list?
1: Toothbrush. Yeah. You have to have to toothbrush. Razor.
11: You don't have to have a razor.
1: Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah, you definitely do. What else? We've got lots of news coming up. We'll talk to Sergeant John O'Donovan of the Winnipeg Police Service after the 4 o'clock news on the Christine Wood homicide. Mm. Later in the hour, the provincial government, you mentioned the the budget tomorrow, they have quietly released their um, report on fiscal performance, and there's all sorts of hints in that report as to what's going to be in the budget tomorrow. We'll tell you more about that. And uh, you talked a little bit about the Jets, and we'll also talk about this incredible... Bid, joint bid between the NAFTA partners.
11: Yeah, Canada, US, Mexico looking to go after the FIFA World Cup in 2026. We'll talk to Rob Gale, who is a Winnipegger and is coach of Canada's national under 20 men's team.
1: Rob is fantastic. He's a great guest. 10 games apparently uh, would be part of the schedule in Canada. Obviously we're concerned about when I can't see Winnipeg getting any games out of that 10, but I'm trying to figure out which cities would. Yeah. Vancouver obviously would be at the top of the list because the size of their stadium. I'm worried that this is going to end up being Toronto's push to get a bigger outdoor stadium. And then we have the whole NFL conversation. I'm already six steps ahead on this. And I want to know what cities are involved from Canada because We're going to get suckered into paying for a stadium for the NFL for Toronto. Somehow, some way, and this could be their opening. I'm
0: concerned.
11: You don't want an NFL team in Toronto?
0: Absolutely not.
11: Okay, just checking.
0: That's a conversation for another time because Uh, we're out of time. Julie Buckingham, Richard Cloutier, thank you very much. More in the news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Jeff Forte, thank you very much, sir, and Master Control. And thank you for listening to 680 CJOB. Mackling and McGarry on 680-CJOB.